Uh, one of the things we do uh, each week as we gather is, is look at a different passage of the Bible, because uh, Christians believe the Bible to be God's Word. So this morning we're looking uh, at a uh, part of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's uh, account of Jesus' life. Uh, the, the reading's down there in the sheets from Matthew 16, uh, and I'm going to read from verse 21. Uh, what you need to know as we begin this story is that uh, we've reached a turning point of this whole account of Jesus' life. Uh, and just in the, the passage just above that we looked at last week, in fact, for the first time, the disciples have, have clicked as to who Jesus is. Okay, they've realised that uh, he is God's king okay, to, to rule over the world, and also that he is the son of God come to earth. Uh, and Jesus then promised that he's going to build a kingdom, a church, that will never be destroyed, that will grow and grow and grow. So with that sort of, you imagine the kind of confidence they're feeling uh, as the conversation goes on. So verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he'll repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let me pray for us as we look at this passage again. Uh, Father God, we pray uh, now that as we hear the Lord Jesus speak to us, that you would send your spirit to open our eyes, unstop our eyes. Uh, would these words be life to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, let me start this morning with a story about a, a Russian peasant, a Russian peasant called Pahom. That's not a true story. That's a story from Tolstoy. Tolstoy says this. There was once a, a peasant called Pahom, uh, Pahom sorry. and uh, he was a poor man, but slowly he began building up uh, his land. A poor man who wanted to be wealthy. And eventually he heard about a particular kind of group, a little tribe in Russia, uh, who he thought were, were fools. And so he made a deal with them. And the deal was this. The tribe said to him, look, we'll, we'll start at the top of this mountain as the sun rises. Uh, and you can have for free all the land that you can mark out with your spade, okay, picking little posts, uh, as long as you get back here by sunset. Okay, so as the sun rises, off you'll run. Uh, you'll mark out all the land. And if you complete the circuit and get back here by sunset, all that is yours for free. If not, you'll lose everything. And the poem thought this was a great deal. Uh, they were total mugs. So off he set. Uh, the sun rose and he dashed off uh, down, down the hill, down the mountain, and put his first post in. Okay, as the morning went on, further and further he went. Every time he got to a bend, he took the longer course, thinking this will be more land for me. If I can just sweat it out today, think of the benefit. Past noon, into the afternoon, and eventually, as the sun began to, to drop, the mountain came in sight, and he thought, I'm going to make it. Uh, so on and on he ran to the foot of the mountain. He got halfway up, looked up, and realised the sun was dropping. 
and had gone down. Uh, he'd failed. But then he looked up again and he saw that the, 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 the tribe on top of the mountain were cheering. Come on, Pahom, come on, come on, Pahom. And it dawned on him that although the sun had set below the mountain from where he was looking, halfway up, from where they were at the top, it still hadn't gone, gone down below the horizon. He still had a few more seconds to make it. So he picked himself up and, gasping, staggered to the top and put the last post in the ground. Uh, they clapped and cheered, but Behold didn't get up. Uh, the exhaustion killed him, and he collapsed and died at the top of the mountain. The story is called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And the answer comes in the final line of the story, as Behold's servant buries him in a grave six foot by two foot by six foot. That's how much land Behold really needed. Now there's a cheery story for Sunday morning, isn't there? Yeah, like, like many Russian stories. Sorry, pick me up. But it's sobering, and, and it, it asks us a question. A question that I think Jesus answers in this passage for us this morning. It, it asks us a question, what, what are you giving your life for? What are you investing in? What are you spending your energy, your money, your time seeking after? For behold, it was land. These, these are going to bring me riches. If I can get the land, plant the crops, well, well then I'll grow rich. It's true for many of us, isn't it, as well? Money, that's what we're after. Perhaps some of you are studies. Yeah, I just need a degree. Uh, maybe you just start at uni. And, 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 and that is what consumes you. Brothers, it's, it's relationships. If I can just find the right guy or girl, well, well then, that's what I'm going to put all my energy into. That's how I'll get blessing. It's a great danger, as the story sets out. And actually, as Jesus picks up in Matthew 16, there's a great danger that we expend all our energy into gain that then just melts through our fingers as we take our last breath. And so Jesus gives us this morning two, two crosses that, that should shape our lives and will enable us to make wise decisions about how we spend our time, our money, what we do with our lives. If we can get our heads around these two crosses that he speaks about, then suddenly that well, well, the sort of depressing nature of that, that Pahom story it is transformed. And our lives needn't just be about this temporary, short-term gain, but, but rather the gates of eternal life are, are opened up and we can find purpose and meaning in the everyday too. Uh, let's dive in. The first cross is the cross of Christ. This is verses 21 to 23 on the sheet. As I said earlier, Jesus... Jesus disciples have finally clicked with who he is. He's the son of God. And so he starts to teach them. Yes, I'm the son of God. I've come to earth. I'm going to build this amazing kingdom, this amazing church. A church being a people rather than a building. And so what does he say? Verse 21. Jesus began to show his disciples what? All the amazing miracles he's about to do. The way he's going to overthrow the Romans and bring peace to the world. No. He began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer, Many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Jesus began to teach them that he has come to die. Now, if you've been around churches before, or, or you know that perhaps you know Matthew's Gospel, or one of the other Gospels a little bit, it, yeah, I know this. Hey, he teaches them who he is, and he teaches them what he's come to do, and it all kind of clicks into place. But, but, but don't miss the shock of what it would, what it would mean for the disciples. Can you just imagine, in our own day, you realise that, that your best friend, your best friend is, is God in the flesh. 
you just think what he could do. And when he promises he's going to go to Jerusalem, the capital city, and, and, and build a kingdom, this is going to be fantastic. He's off to London to empty all the hospitals. Great Ormond Street, empty. St. Bart, empty. You've seen the way he's fed 5,000 people with some fish and loaves. No more hunger. World hunger, solved. Coronavirus, gone. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, for Peter, a, a sort of faithful Jewish man of the first century, they lived under occupation. The Roman governors were, were, were running their country. As if, you know, imagine England had lost the Second World War and Nazi Germany was ruling over us. And suddenly this guy turns up. You could just go be able to blast all those bad guys. Goodbye Romans, freedom, peace on earth at last. And then he says, no, I must die. Why must you? Why must you? Only two things seem to bind Jesus. He's not swayed by people's opinions. He doesn't give in because people will pressure on him. Two things seem to guide Jesus' life. The first is the word of God, for what we would call the Old Testament. And as Jesus read the Old Testament, he would have learned as he grew. He'd learned that actually it was all about him and that his destiny was to die. Passage after passage in the Old Testament. Uh, taught that, that one day this Christ, this Messiah, this Saviour would come and rescue people, but it would be through dying. Now, Jesus is God, so in one sense he knew all things, but he also has a real human mind. He's really a, a real man. And so he learned too. Luke tells us that explicitly actually in his gospel, that he learned things. Extraordinary to think, isn't it, that Jesus opened his Bible morning by morning and read different passages. He was, he was seeing more and more about himself, about what he was called to do. We read the Bible and we learn about Jesus, but he was learning about himself. And he learned that he must die because people are going to be saved. The word of God shapes his life, but so too does the will of God. Jesus always does what his father commanded, what his father wanted. Not my will, but yours, he said. And it was God's desire that his own son should lay down his life that you and I might live. It was the will of God to bruise his son, we read in Isaiah 53. In other words, there was no other way for God to get men, women and children into heaven, into eternal life, than through the death of his son. The cross wasn't just one option among many. No, Jesus was going to die so that you and I might live. He was going to carry on his back all the sins of the world in order that we might be forgiven. And Peter is outraged. See, that Peter took him aside, verse 22, and said, well, began to rebuke him, tell him off, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. No way. God on earth, there's a much better plan. There's got to be a better way than this. But Jesus replies, brutal, isn't it? Get behind me, Satan. Imagine that. Now, Peter has just said, uh, Peter's been the one who's rightly just announced that Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Peter. In verse 17 of the chapter, just before the bit we read, Blessed are you, Simon Bardona. Simon's another name for Peter. Uh, this has not been revealed to you uh, by yourself, but by, by your Father in heaven. And God has revealed, Blessed are you. And on this rock, Peter means rock, it's a kind of pipe. Um, on, on this rock, I'll build my church. 30 seconds later, you'll see. It's quite a turn, isn't it? In fact, Jesus calls him a, a, a hindrance, a stumbling block, literally, a stumbling stone. 
against the plunder and I'm going to build my church on, on you. Jesus says, block you. And then 30 seconds later, ha, you're a stumbling block, trying to make you trip over. But why is he so firm? It's not that Peter has been possessed by Satan or anything strange like that. It's not that Peter literally is Satan. But, but Peter is carrying on Satan's plan. I remember early uh, in Jesus' ministry, he, he's been tempted in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. That, 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 uh, Satan comes to him. And basically, Satan's plan there is to get Jesus to, to avoid going to the cross. So, so when Satan comes to tempt Jesus, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't try to sort of hurt Jesus or cause him pain. It's the opposite. He offers him, well, he offers him a way out. He says, look, Jesus, you know, you're the son of God. Okay, you deserve all authority. You've been a perfect life. You're, you alone are the perfect man. So, so all you need to do is just bow down to me and I'll give you all the kings of the earth. It takes you up to a high places. I'll give you all these kingdoms. Just bow down to me. In other words, you can have everything God your father has promised you. All the kingdoms, all the people worshipping you. But, but, but don't bother with the cross. Just bow down to me. And Jesus says no. And then Peter, and we're told in, in the gospel that Satan withdrew until he had an opportune moment, a better moment to tempt Jesus again. And, and this is it, this time he's using Peter. But he's trying to make sure Jesus doesn't go to the cross. Why? Well, because he knows, as Jesus knows, that the cross is the only way that, that God can rescue people from Satan's kingdom and bring them into his kingdom. The cross is the only way that, well, that we can be saved. Jesus goes to the cross, not for himself, but for you and for me. He dies in our place. dies so that you and I don't have to. He didn't deserve to die, did he? He lived a perfect life. He deserved just to go straight ahead. But because he takes our sin on his shoulders, well, he dies into the depths of hell. And therefore, he conquers everything that could stop you and me going to heaven, having eternal life, entering paradise. Uh, he conquers our sin because he pays the debt. Imagine everything you've done wrong, kind of scribbled on this big poster here. Everything you've ever done that would mean that you weren't worthy of going to heaven. Jesus takes it and just rips it up. He pays the punishment in our place, pays the debt. But therefore, he also defeats Satan. What, what, what power has Satan got over human beings? It's not the kind of weird horror movie stuff where he's, you know, appearing and, and terrifying and it's a pitchfork and all that kind of weird stuff. Possession. No, no. He's the accuser. Satan's only power over us is to be able to appear in God's courtroom, as it were, on the last day and say, huh, Emma here wants to go to heaven, does he? Uh, Emma wants you to uh, let her into to heaven, God. But you can't let her in. Look at what she's done. Look at this list of what she's done. Look at her, how cold her heart is towards you. Look how she treats uh, other people. Look how greedy she is. Look how lazy she is. Look how lustful she is. Look how... And, and he reads out the rap sheet, the charge sheet. He is the accuser. But if Jesus ripped up the sheet, then suddenly Satan is empty-handed. There's nothing he can do, nothing he can bring, no charges he can bring. He is defeated. His kingdom can be plundered. Even death itself is defeated at the cross. We die because of our sin. But again, if Jesus takes our sin, then death, well, death is no longer the just punishment for us. So although we may still cease to breathe one day, and our heart might stop, well actually we won't receive the full punishment of death, which is God's 
justice. Ultimately, it's hell itself. Uh, rather, death will just be the, the moment we enter glory, enter heaven. And that is why Satan does not want to go, Jesus to go to the cross. He doesn't want the rescue. And bizarrely, Peter agrees with him. But are we that far away from Peter? All the way down the centuries, the church at, at, at times has been tempted to try and take Christ down off the cross. And the church has always been about Jesus. You, you'll find every church in the city, the country, the world talks about Jesus. But that's not enough for Jesus. It's no use saying, I believe you're the son of God, she says, if you're not also going to put your trust in the cross, in my crucifixion. Don't try and pull out the nails and take me down. Separate Christ from the cross and you just don't have Christianity. Christ becomes a, a good teacher, a, a great example, a, perhaps a heroic martyr. But heroic martyrs can't save you, neither can good teachers. Uh, time and again, it happened in the, in the University of CU movements uh, over the years as well. It comes up every now and again. C, CUs drift away uh, from having the cross at the centre of the good news. Let's talk about how Jesus can make your life so fulfilled. Okay? Or, or we'll talk about how if you come to Jesus, you'll never be lonely again. Or we'll talk about how if you come to, to Jesus, that will give you a deep sense of joy. Now, all these things are true. Gosh, a lot of them wait for heaven, to be honest. But they're all kind of true. But they turn Jesus into a, a sort of genie. Come to him and he'll just give you all these sort of gifts, these trinkets. And we shy away from the heart of what Jesus put in his preaching, in his gospel message, which is Christ crucified, paying for our sins. And there's really good news for us at the end of verse 23. It's not immediately obvious, but look at those words that Jesus addresses to Peter. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Those are really good words for us here this morning. Why? What was Jesus saying to Peter? Peter, look, your mind, as you try and persuade me not to go to the cross, it's on the things of man, not the things of God. If you really understood the things of God, then you'd want me to go to the cross. In other words, the things of God, the thing, thing God is really into, is saving sinful human beings. You don't get this, Peter. You're so obsessed with worldly glory and building empires or whatever it might be. You don't get it. What God really wants, inscribed on the heart of God, as it were, it is the desire to forgive sinners, to welcome people home, to adopt sons and daughters. So deeply is that inscribed on his heart that he's willing for his own son to go down to death in order that we might live. It's another way. Which is greater? Your desire to be forgiven or God's desire to forgive you? Uh, which is greater? Your desire to be saved or God's desire to save you? It's God's desire for you. If you look at your own heart, you'll know this. How much do you really long for God? long for salvation, how much you really repented of your sin, or, and we know it's weak. And that's because we're obsessed with things of this earth, things of men, but we follow in Peter's footsteps, even if not quite as explicitly as him. But God's desire is stronger. And that's what led Jesus to the cross. This is what God is really like. 
you want to know what God is really like, you look at Jesus, and not just Jesus doing amazing miracles, but Jesus crucified for you. Whatever you've done, he is for you if you'll come to him. And that's why he issues this invitation. At the second cross of our reading this morning. If the first is the cross of Christ, the second is the cross of the Christian in verses 24 to 28. The cross of the Christian. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Come to me. Follow me. I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to go through hell on the cross in order that you might not experience it. So come to me. If anyone, verse 24, would come after me. It doesn't matter who you are. You might be rich or poor. You might be super well-educated with a million PhDs and degrees, or you might have barely straight through school. You might have grown up in church, or this might be the first time you ever crossed the threshold of the church this morning. Jesus says to you, if anyone will come, then you're welcome. I say, well, I don't really know much. It doesn't matter, just come. I'll teach you. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not holy, I'm not pure, I'm not good. I know what I'm meant to be and I'm not that, if I'm honest. No one knows what I'm really like. And Jesus says, I know what you're like, come. So I went to the cross. Come, follow me. He said, well, what's going to be involved? What's he said, just trust me. I've given my life for you. There is no catch, no trick. And he's honest about what the Christian life looks like. And we see that in verses 24 and 25. Uh, first of all, it means denying ourselves. The right, best picture of that is, is to say that if you start following Jesus, you, you come under new ownership. You no longer just do what you want. You have someone you're living for. God, the Son of God, becomes the, the king of my life. I take off my own crown, as it were, and bow to him. At the moment, with all sorts of shops and businesses going out of, uh, out of business, you, you see signs up occasionally, don't you? Um, under new management. Well, that's the Christian. We're no longer living for ourselves, but, but we're trying to follow him. And it involves suffering. Uh, verse 24 again, you must take up your cross. And the days of Jesus, taking up your cross. If you saw someone carrying a cross, well, they were going to be executed. Maybe a couple of hundred years ago in England, you know, see someone carrying a noose. It's, it's, a, it's a macabre image, it's a pretty grim image, to be honest. Uh, this isn't Jesus giving the shiny PR pitch. Um, he's not a, a snake or salesman, a, a estate agent. I said earlier this morning that. We have to move out of our house, my, um, my wife and I, my uh, family and I, because uh, the landlord, we're renting it, the landlord's selling it. And I was sat at home just yesterday and uh, the estate agent brought around different people to look at it, um, to, to buy it. And it's amazing what they'll say just to get a sale. But you never trust an estate agent, do you? And so the first couple came around and the guy looked out the back door and said, oh, the garden's not very big, is it? And she said, no, it's not very big. I, I, I thought that, you know, it's pretty small, but um, you know, it's nice angle. And, you know, you know. Next couple come around. Uh, and the, 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 his wife this time says, um, oh, quite a big garden, isn't it? And they said, yes, I thought that. Yeah, a really big garden. <laughs> Literally 15 minutes ago, you'd be talking about how your daughter's a really small garden. But of course, she's just trying to get a sale. She's not interested in them. She doesn't care about them. She just wants their money. Say anything to, to close the deal. Well, Jesus isn't like that. He is honest. If you come and follow him, you will have to take up your cross. In other words, you will suffer. Uh, you'll suffer because you'll come into conflict with we'll come into conflict with Satan, who's already having a go at Jesus in this passage. There is a spiritual world out there as well as the, the world you can see and touch. You can't prove the spiritual world with scientific tools, of course, but then you wouldn't be able to, would you? That's the whole point. It's not physical. Uh, you'll come into conflict uh, with yourself, with your own sin. 
It's difficult to deny ourselves, to deny ourselves, isn't it? We don't naturally like to follow someone else. The, the Christian life will feel like a bit of a tug of war at times. You'll be, there'll be times when you feel that you fail badly. And you'll perhaps look at friends who aren't following Christ and they don't feel like they've done exactly the same thing as you've done, behaved exactly the same way, but there's no guilt, there's no worry. They wake up the next morning and shake it off and off they go. Whereas you feel this guilt because the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you've not really lived for Jesus. That is pain that you would not have had if you weren't a Christian. And of course there's conflict not just with the devil, not just with your sin, but, but with the world. The world has always persecuted the church. They crucified Jesus, they crucified and they killed most of the, 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 the twelve disciples. Down, the, down the, the annals of history, Christians on the whole have not been treated well. In our day and age it's unlikely you're going to be physically um, assaulted or killed or whatever it might be, but it's not, in, it's not impossible that in time, if you stick up for what Jesus believes, you, you may not be able to get certain jobs, certain careers might be closed to you, for example. Right, there might be social stigma. How can you really think that? And you say, well, I'm, I'm drawing Jesus. It's not my own opinions that I'm coming up with. I, I, I believe what Jesus says on whatever matter it is. And people take your opinions from a guy 2,000 years ago who, and, and we feel the scorn and the, and the mockery. There will be cross-bearing. Okay, the Christian has the cross, a cross to carry. But, but it's so important we see that Christ has borne the true cross first. His is the, the, the big one. His is the one that assures us of his love. And so when we suffer following him, it's not that we're trying to pay him back. Uh, it's not that he's being unfair to us. It, it is simply that as those who come to trust in his free forgiveness, we'll end up for now being treated well like he was treated. What are your expectations? If you are a Christian, what are your expectations of the Christian life? Sometimes we, we, when we do end up suffering, it, it kind of blindsides us and we think, well, no, it's going on, something's gone wrong. But no, it hasn't. You're just following your master's footsteps. He's not lost you. You've not lost him. No, you're just bearing your cross as he did. Why would you do this? We can see verse 25, 26. So Jesus lays it out with, with, with ruthless logic. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You've got a choice. You can either lose your life now by following me, by enduring that cross, by denying yourself, and that will mean loss. There'll be certain things you'll lose as a Christian. If you're going to give yourself to Christ, you will not be as wealthy as you will otherwise have been because you'll use your money for the building of this church, the caring for the sick, the poor, the needy. You will not be as wealthy as you would otherwise be. And you will lose time. Your time is no longer your own because you are committed to caring for other people and to reaching out with the good news of the gospel. In all sorts of ways, you will lose now. Your career may not progress. You might not have many friends. Whatever it might be, you will lose now. But you will gain eternally, Jesus. We'll put it the way around. What on earth is the point of Pahom's life? Or his, his, his marathon run with the story we started with. What is the point of gaining everything if it's all just going to be taken at your last breath? When you die, you will not take your boyfriend with you. You will not take your wife and kids with you. You will not take your house with you, your money with you. You won't take your academic certificates with you. You will take nothing with you. They will 
to be blunt, to put you in a box. Your body will go to the ground. Your soul, you will then be before the Lord God of the universe. And he will not ask you, what are you carrying? He will not ask your A-level results. He will not ask to see your bank balance. I grew up on the south near the sea, uh, and in a little town called Weymouth. Every year there was a man who made these amazing sculptures out of sand. Extraordinary, really. Uh, really I don't know how he did it. Um, uh, and they would last all the summer season. I remember one he made some Paddington Bear scenes, and you know, that stuck in my head as a kid. And he'd go back next year and he'd do something else. It was incredible. He'd, he'd sculpt the sand and paint them. And, but of course, over the winter, when the waves came in and, and the, the, the rain fell, they dissolved. If all we're investing in is, is this earth and the here and now, it's just going to fade away. Jesus isn't saying, don't try hard at your degree, don't work at your career, don't get married, don't enter relationships. No, not at all. But rather he's saying there's no point gaining everything now in this age if actually when you tie or when Christ returns, you've not trusted him, not followed him, because then you'll lose everything. What is it, is it you're investing in? Verse 27, one day Jesus will return. And the promise is he'll reward according to what you've done. Christian, if you are making sacrifices for his sake, he's not going to miss them. Nothing you sacrifice here and now is going to go unnoticed. He sees, and he is just. He'll repay each person according to what he has done. We tend to read that and think that's, you know, he's going to... And that is true. There is justice in judgment too. He will treat us all fairly. And if we're not trusted him, well, ultimately we won't enter eternal life. But there's also a reward there. Uh, you can't out-sacrifice God. He will always give more generously than you've ever sacrificed. But we're looking to eternity for that reward, not the instant here and now. He is the king, verse 28, who, um, uh, who reigns in glory. It's a slightly confusing verse, isn't it? Do you see that? There are some standing here, Jesus says to the disciples, who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Some of you disciples won't die before you've seen me coming in my kingdom. What's he talking about? I don't think he's talking about his, his return, the, the, the second coming, because obviously all the disciples have died, and that still hasn't happened. Uh, but more likely, uh, this seeing the Son of Man enter his kingdom, I think it's a reference to, to Jesus after he's risen again from the dead, going back up to heaven on the clouds uh, at the beginning of Acts, uh, and entering heaven. Uh, and the reason I say that is that in, in an Old Testament book called Daniel, in chapter 7, we read about the Son of Man, which is where Jesus gets this little phrase from, riding on the clouds of heaven and coming before the Ancient of Days, that's God, and being given a kingdom and dominion and authority. That the coming, in other words, is not from heaven to earth, but earth to heaven. Uh, God says, right, from now on you're going to be the king. That's why Jesus at the end of Matthew's Gospel says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. As God, he already had that authority, but as man, he's been given it because he's conquered death, conquered Satan, conquered sin, risen again, and now he is the king of the universe. Now, the disciples saw that, some of them. Judas, of course, had gone to his death by then. But we have seen that he is enthroned in glory. Jesus is not just the king who died on a cross, he is the king who now reigns over all. And so, any little cross you bear is worth it, he says to you this morning. As we close, so again, verse 22. What does, G what does Peter say to Jesus? Far be it from you, Lord. We've had to print the readings because we can't hand out Bibles. 
but, but if, you, if you have the, the Bible you normally put on the seats, there'll be a little footnote, and it gives you a more literal translation. Uh, literally, it means God be merciful to you, Lord. May God be propitious to you, is that propitiation word, those of you know uh, Romans. In other words, Peter is saying, you're not going to die because God is going to be gracious to you. You're gracious. God will be gracious to you. You won't die. And there's a horrible irony there. If God was to spare Jesus the cross, then he couldn't spare you or me. But, but so great is his love that God decided not to be gracious, kind, propitious to his son. But instead, sent him to the cross. Willingly, he went to the cross in order that you and I might be saved. He lost his life so that you might gain yours. Uh, he lost everything in order that you might gain everything. He was cursed that you might be blessed. And then he says, come follow me. And maybe for the first time this morning, you need to say to him, yes, Lord Jesus, I will come and follow you. And maybe you've drifted. And I'm not quite sure where your life is going. He says to you this morning, come follow me. I love you. I've given myself for you. Now come follow me. And you need to say, yes, Lord, I will follow. You may know little. You may know much. You may have been to church a thousand times, this may be your first time. Jesus is the same invitation. This is what God is like. He's saying to you, this is what I am like. I love you so much, I've come to earth. I've become one of you. I'm not just to rule in glory and impress with my miracles and power, but in order that I might take your hands and open up those gates of eternal life. Come, follow. And whatever sacrifice you make on the way, I will richly, richly reward. Let's pray. And Father God, we praise you that you sent Christ into the world. Uh, not to dominate, uh, but rather uh, to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we pray so much that you grant us faith uh, to see Christ crucified for us, to see your love for us, and uh, see that there was no other way, and see that your desire to rescue and save us far exceeds our desire to be saved. And so we pray that you would make us faithful followers of Christ. Our Lord Jesus, this morning, enable us to respond to that call to follow you by saying yes. And we pray that uh, whatever burdens or crosses we face are on the way, uh, we would do so joyfully and gladly, looking forward to that great heavenly reward on the day when we stand before you face to face. Thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy. And we praise you. In Christ's name. Amen.